0: Hey, wonderfuls. Welcome to episode 368 of the podcast with my wonderful guest, Rebecca Dinerstein-Knight. I said Rebecca like I was British. Rebecca, like there was an R at the end. Am I going to change this and start over? No way. I want everyone to think I'm British. Um, I hope everyone is doing okay. Uh, Listen, if the worst that happens is you get tired of loved ones checking in on each other and saying, I hope you're doing okay, then... um, we're not doing so bad, right? If you're like, oh, so many people care how I am. Uh, So I will be repetitious and say, I hope you're doing well. I'm sending good thoughts to you and yours. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, Rebecca slash Becky is a wonderful uh, author, poet. Um, We had a great talk about her work amongst many other things. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So hope you're well, sending you love and talk to you soon. (laughs) I love that you said that like it was like it was a fun coincidence like oh my god I also am recording like what are the chances wait a minute just
1: two ladies (laughs) recording on a Friday who bump into each other on
0: the <laughs> face on the FaceTime audio woo! woo what a surprise how are you how are you faring how's your how's your quarantine
1: thanks for asking janet My um, pleasure. Huh? uh you know it's about it's about as good as as uh, a quarantine is going to be i suppose um my husband and i live in a farmhouse in new hampshire where we never see anybody ever so um the difference <laughs> the social difference <laughs> is uh, minimal but we we don't get to see our friends who we would have intentionally seen so that's um obviously lonelier but uh it's it's lovely to be in the country and um i'm really thinking a lot about everybody my family in new york and and mm-hmm. in, uh, in la and Um, It's very odd to have such a natural source of isolation here. Um, No kidding. Yeah. How long have you been
0: out there? How long have you been in a a farmhouse in New
1: Hampshire? About two years, but I did grow up in New York City, so it's a big change. Sure thing.
0: Now, my experience, uh, and I've probably mentioned this before on the podcast, but my experience of being in some of the smaller New England states um, like Connecticut or New Hampshire uh, definitely included, like, the honor system. We put a bunch of berries just out on, on a table at the end of our very long drive and just trust that maybe someone will put, like, a dollar in the can next to it And also, not steal the can.
1: Like, is that that a
0: fair representation
1: of where you are? Definitely. The honor system makes up like a huge portion of the businesses near us. (laughs) Like, it's not a joke. There's literally a farm stand on our corner. named farmer john's farm stand and my husband is also named john and they're different johns and they're both growing vegetables and uh the whole farmer john farm stand which is a pretty elaborate selection um is the honor system there's n- i've never seen anybody working there um wow. yeah it's it's pretty uh, trusting and very very sweet <laughs> and talk about uh, to your point the difference between that
0: and being from new york city um New York City proper—that's like kind of a massive switch.
1: Um, yeah, it sure is, and it's not one that I ever imagined for myself. But I fell in love with a man on the subway, and the next thing I knew, I was in New Hampshire. <laughs> but uh, no, I—it uh, was all—it was all much more willful, and and um, it was all very, very good. But um, I'm very happy to be here, and it feels weirdly right even though it's not something that i ever knew would feel right Well, that's, it's funny,
0: just kind of what you're talking about, I'm, I'm sort of having that, that moment where I'm thinking about you as an author, you know, thinking about you as a, a novelist and, and wondering, because, you know, we all have that sort of characterization now that we do where something strange happens and it feels like it's, quote, we're in a movie or, you know, this is like something that would happen in a book. Hmm. Um, and I wonder if that for, for writers, that sort of doubles. It's like doubling down because, you know, you know if a person who's not a writer uh, or a creator necessarily in that way um, feels that then then what must a storyteller feel as they see themselves as kind of the character the lead
1: character in their story like moving from New York City to a t- to a town in New Hampshire yeah it's wild the first thing um the first thing anybody ever suggests when I experience something is that I should write about it and especially when a book comes out there's a huge um, sort of industry expectation that you're going to write a series of personal essays um, in support of your book that sort of flit around the internet uh, as the book releases and give potential readers a sense of who you are and what you're uh, oh. thinking about and and um, sort of introduce your personality. And when my first book came out, especially The Sunlit Night, which was about a more autobiographical story of a woman who goes to the Arctic of Norway, which is something that I did, even though the rest of the book is totally fictional. There were a ton of personal essays about how it felt to be lonely in the Arctic and things like that. Um, And so coming into this book, I was really hesitant to write these essays because they feel somewhat misleading, especially when the novel isn't autobiographical. And then this new book, Hex, came out utterly at the dawn of this crisis, and um, the idea of personal reflection has just changed so much altogether that it's, it's a whole different thing all over again. Yeah. Well, well, I,
0: I did not know that that was something that was sort of baked into the process of, of a book being published and stuff. This is news to me, this idea of, of the, the essays. Is that really like industry standard? Like, like, this is. is what everyone does.
1: It is for better or worse. um, I would say as a practice, it reached its peak in about 2015. (laughs) Like Uh it was incredibly popular a few years ago. And then it was so widely practiced that I think now there's a little bit of a a sort of self-consciousness or almost even a backlash about it. But at the same time, Um, that only goes so far as to create essays that are about the fact that one has to write essays. Oh, no. <laughs> but but oh, like no. you oh, still no. are writing the essays. There's no oh, way God. around it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So basically liter- like basically literature has crawled up its own butt. It's I think you could say that. I mean it was always there. Yeah. It was
1: always there. But we're yeah. just finding new corners of the butt, really putting a new chair in that kind well, of thing. you just you just cracked open so much non-teenager
0: related stuff um uh about yourself and about this process that I'm going to have to d- to dive into it a little bit more and and we'll see if if that coaxes us back into um some teenage stuff as well. I have much confidence that it will. Um <laughs> yes. but but I but I am curious. So so with that process um what does that look like? Like, d- d- does your publisher, your editor, go? Okay, well, as you know, we're about to, you know, we're getting ready to launch the book. Uh, I trust you've been writing some personal essays, like uh, it, it,
1: it, almost verbatim. Yes, that is the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. And so, and 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 to your point, the fact that, that you're doing something. That, you know, your book, and, and I want to talk about that in a second so that we can put it into context, when when you don't really have much to tie the plot of the book to with respect to your own life, what do you turn to? Like, how do you sort of make peace with that and, and come up with some sort of workaround, if any?
1: Yeah, it's a really nice question. Um, For this book, I I really enjoyed turning to um, the people and other work that inspired it, which wound up being a super rich and actually really enjoyable thing to, to study and to spend some time with instead of just thinking about myself. Um, so mm. I, I got to write an essay for the Paris Review about a woman named Vita Sackville-West, um, who's a novelist in the 1930s, um, largely known now for making out with Virginia Woolf. Um, oh, wow. And which is like a great, a great thing to be known for, obviously. But it just so happens that she also had a totally rad life and career way outside of Virginia Woolf. Um, She wrote 37 books. She planted all of England's major gardens. She and her Mm. husband were both bisexual and totally cool with each other and having incredible geometries of pansexuality inside their marriage. And it was all incredibly dope and happening in you know, nineteen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, nineteen, twenty-five. 1920, 1925, um, wow. way before there was a cultural allowance or context for it. Um, right. So I loved learning about that and it was just so spectacularly juicy. The essay just flew out um, to the point where I'm now trying to develop a screen project around it because it's um, it's such a meaningful circle of literary celebrity and aristocracy yeah. and even british royalty gets in there and so oh my God, um, what a no-brainer that's amazing. Yeah, it's it was really really fun so that was a total treat to be able to work on that um as an essay for this book and then another we essay better about... we better
0: i've really backed you into a weird corner where <laughs> now okay. you're account- now you're accounting for choices you made about your essays based on a book that the listener may not be familiar with. So let's talk about hex for a second, <laughs> Great. and then people can go back and rewind and then listen to you talk about this fantastic uh, human person in the early 1900s, <laughs> and then Excellent. they'll know why it relates. <laughs> Let
1: tell us about hex. Oh, I would love to. Well. Hex is a novel that came out last week on March thirty first. <laughs> and I was supposed to be in your fair city of LA this week at Skylight Bookstore with Jenny Slate, uh, talking about the book, um, which would have been such a riot and um obviously that whole tour got cancelled and my brother in the kindness of his heart led me to you. Um so first and foremost I really appreciate your welcoming me onto this fantastic show. Um and the my book pleasure. Um, the book is a love hexagon. So we have six characters who fall in love with each other at the same time. Um, It's a real variety of relationships. Some are erotic. Some are sort of based in professional envy. Some are based in a sort of longing, a sort of impossible longing. Um, We've got sort of that pansexuality I was talking about with Virginia Woolf's circle going on among um, six uh, academics and New Yorkers based in a vari- Red Hook and the Upper West Side in New York. Um, and the main character is, has just been expelled from her PhD program where she is trying to bind um botanical poisons to their own antidotes. Um, So that's obviously a subject that is taken on a really charged atmosphere right now. Um, Hmm. And uh, it's such a lonely, it's a book about this woman who is mostly alone in her Red Hook apartment, cooking herself ungodly quantities of tortellini and so if there's like if i could have known that this book would be released into a quarantine um i don't think i would have changed it but it's just incredibly strange um but it, it really is it's full of um it's very sassy it's got a it's 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 a pretty punchy little thing it moves quickly it's short um it's told in these short journal entry um segments that are all devoted to the main character, Nell's uh, mentor, who um, Joan. So uh, Nell sort of devotes herself in this really um, fervent and feverish way to this woman, Joan. It's pretty sad, it's pretty silly. Um, and I hope your listeners like it if they want to pick up a little a little novel treat for their quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting to say and this is
0: again i'm but i don't mean to to psychoanalyze our entire culture leading up to this quarantine but um do you feel like there was an underlying i mean y- you know you call out the the coincidence of of this idea of us being um sort of locked in um as as the book comes out but is was there was there a sense already of kind of like American loneliness that lent itself, you know, in a less direct way towards this idea of of this this girl alone in Red Hook?
1: Yeah, that's a really beautiful question. Um I do think that the original um essence of the loneliness, of Nell's loneliness, was actually envy. Um, this idea that so many high achieving professionals regard each other as um Essentially, competitors who who must be doing things <clears throat> uh, more intelligently or more successfully than they themselves are, even though that's mm. hardly ever the case. Um, I do think there's through. I mean, the obvious things like Instagram. This culture of assuming that everybody else is doing a better job has right. become so pervasive. And this woman who has been strictly prohibited from continuing her own work, she's been expelled from her lab because um, it's a highly toxic environment and one of her lab mates has um, suffered a fatal accident and the whole lab gets shut down and she literally is removed from her profession. And it kind of unwinds her whole system of ambition and self-esteem and the desire to prove herself and the desire to receive validation all of these forces that um as a creative I feel are sort of relentless the the comparisons Mm. and the measurements and the reviews and the ratings and um how that circus of approval really eggs us on and tears us down so that was that was sort of at the heart of it originally um but all lonelinesses wind up resembling each other, uh, mm. so it now it now takes on the flavor of this one as well.
0: I love everything you just said. First of all, Thanks. um, I I'm so I'm so interested too because you know I just was having a conversation about this uh, with someone this 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 just oh like invasive weed of envy. Um, and and so it's been it's been something that I've been thinking about in part because you know there's a lot of of talk going around and and I've and I've talked about this on the podcast a little bit just within this time of, of quarantine uh, of what are you doing with this time like somehow. Um, shelter in place has become a new proving ground where, you know, in terms of maybe not just creative people, but that's tends to be kind of what, you know, what gossip I hear or what complaints I hear or what sort of worrying or boasting where that all comes from is, you know, how are you using this time creatively and and productively and how quickly are you getting content onto the internet and how quickly are you you know coming up with with some new mind-blowingly creative way to show everyone that you know just how to shelter in place in in a, in a, per- a particularly funny way or a particularly touching way or you know and so yeah. i really i'm so aware of it and i think um it, i mean it's it's just like next to straight up fear uh, I I I I'm hard pressed to think of an emotion I enjoy feeling less. I mean, it's not something right. that I I am so. Whenever I get a flicker of it, I try. I really, really work so hard to move on from it. And it's not because I'm a great person. It's because I don't like fe- feeling bad. <laughs> oh yeah. So you know, it, it, it's it, I have no interest in staying in that space, and that is why I'm if it's not why it's it's I think it's a it's a nice side effect of me not being hugely active and combing the internet for and looking at other people's you know lives as presented is uh, I hate that feeling I don't want to feel that and so uh, I actively avoid it and if my weakness means I can my threshold for it is so much lower than everyone that I'm not subjecting myself to it as often that's like a happy accident do you know what I mean? It's not for like sure. a courageous choice on my part. But I, I, I wonder if your relationship to it changed as you were able to sort of pick it up as an object and look at it and analyze it in order to write about it. Was that, you know, helpful in some way for you as an artist?
1: Definitely. I mean, I think one of the strangest things about it as a phenomenon is that the people who are the who are the most efficient and successful at presenting themselves as satisfied. If you speak to them offline, they are inevitably the least satisfied and the most insecure They're just the, the seesaw between, um, how, how confident a person appears and what's really going on is 10 times out of 10 enormous. Um, mm. and, as I encountered that more and more in people I really admired, and people I considered to be untouchable, flawless, role models of the ultimate success, every single time I had the opportunity to ask how that person was doing, the answer was terrible. The answer was, I feel like a failure, I feel I'm doing things wrong, um, mm. and I feel really bad. So as I heard that enough, as I heard that over and over again, I started to think, well, that's the that that's the reality we're in. We've all become very skilled at um, separating our outsides from our insides, and mm-hmm. there's no question that we're all capable of it. I don't I don't even think I think if most people wanted to, they could present something that has nothing to do with their reality, and everyone would believe it because we're inclined to believe each other, actually, and um, you know there. There's just this strange, quiet justice to the fact that we're all pretty upset. <laughs> we're all pretty insecure, pretty unsatisfied, but at the same time certain enough of what's really going on to very often not want to play the game, just as you described, not not wanting to scroll through and compare ourselves. And when our bodies rise up and say enough of that, I think that's also really uh, true and significant to uh, like our human experience, so to speak. So um, it was a pleasure to just sort of design a book, and I really did chart it out like a math problem. I started with six figures, A, B, C, D, E, and F, and I drew two-way arrows between each figure hmm. and basically calculated what each point on this diagram craved and envied from each other point. Mm. And it was such a fun way to build a book um, because what surfaced is that the things we want from each other or the things we desire in each other are only sometimes sexual. Like certainly there there is the kind of arrow that is based in romantic or sexual appeal. But then there are all these other kinds of arrows you can draw between people that are based in what we want from them that has nothing to do with making out, and yeah. so um, it was really nice to be able to just call those things out and let them pl- run their course over the over the course of this book and and really watch the the dynamics shift. Yeah. Well, I think that's you
0: know one of one of the things that I identify so strongly with with being an adolescent is that sense of. Um, defining your identity and kind of maybe i mean i don't know like of course as a as a little child you know we've we've all or many of us who who listen to podcasts or who have who have sort of an interest in human behavior um i feel like it's it you know there's a sort of like generalized understanding that that young children you know under the age of blank whether it's like four or something like that is you know that you're essentially a psychopath and that you don't you haven't developed your empathy you know you don't want to share potential mm-hmm. I mean this is all very generalized but like you you know that there's a sense of not necessarily being able to tie someone else crying to how you feel about right. crying um, and, and that kind of stuff so not to say that there isn't like coveting that doesn't go on and jealousies and all of that kind of stuff playing out when you're a kid because absolutely that's happening but um but I think you know puberty is such a weird hard tense time to be questioning who you are and how to make sense of everything and um so much of that seems like it it sort of flares up like acne um in puberty you know is that something that you that you can kind of call back to and relate to when you sort of think about these like the the sort of like like the blood rushing to the head and and that sense of like, oh, I want that. Or like, oh, if someone else has that. Maybe that means I won't get it. Or, you know, do you feel, can you, can you relate to that at all? This idea of adolescence? Definitely. And,
1: yeah. When I started thinking about um, talking to you, the first thing um, that popped into my mind um, was the image of myself in puberty with an extra large forehead and rectangular eyebrows and buck teeth wearing my brother's clothes. And like, <laughs> for context, my brother is eight years older than me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so uh, I was in these sort of oversized sweatpants with the elastic around the ankle, which are very hip right now, mm-hmm. but yes. in the year 2000 were the least hip <laughs> of any uh, possible clothing item. <laughs> Um, And that combined with just, like, everything that was going on on my face, like, my dad's gigantic eyebrows, which, again, were not cool yet, like, a totally disproportionate forehead, no head hair, like, I've never had very much hair on my head, it's all on my eyebrows, and then just, like, so <laughs> little on top. That counts as your head, top. that counts as your head. Does it, though? does it (laughs) um so i was just a a goblin i was a little goblin in very large clothing and that is not a recipe for social success um and meanwhile the girls who uh wore clothes that fit their bodies and sort of had their faces figured out had access to not only like Social popularity, but inner peace or like inner satisfaction and comfort that I, I could hardly fathom. Um, so and looking yeah, back I'd- now, did
0: you feel like that was real? Now with your distance, or do you feel like they fall into more the category of this sort of like real life Instagram before there was Instagram? Of you, I am going. I am very good at presenting this right. to you, the public, but I am also still a teenager.
1: Yeah, you know, it it was probably both, but I I do think the the great disadvantage of being popular in middle school and being well adjusted early on is that you don't um you don't have as much of a an opportunity to define or understand yourself because nobody's asking you to. Like mm. uh it's so you're so immediately accepted or so easily accepted that Nobody is um, challenging you to explain why you're a person, and yeah. I do actually think that that exercise and having to and having to face that ch- that sort of wall and see yourself in it and run against it and develop your strength that way. There's something super valuable about that, even though it's incredibly painful at the time. So absolutely, I th- I I am sort of happy at this point that. I fell on the lame side of middle school, but um, (laughs) (laughs) it it definitely took a while to be happy about that.
0: Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun.
1: Macho man to the top rope. The flying elbow, the cover. We've got a new champion. We're here with Macho Man Randy Savage after his big win to become the new world champion.
0: What are you going to do now, Match? I'm going to go listen to the newest episode of the Tights and Fights podcast, oh yeah. Tell us more about this podcast. It's the podcast of power, too sweet to be sour, funky like a monkey, woke discussions, man. And jokes about wrestlers' fashion choices, myself excluded, yeah. I can't wait to listen. Neither can I. You can find it Saturdays on Maximum
1: Fun. Oh yeah, dig it.
0: Once you got into high school, was there any sort of shift or did it sort of, was it like stay on course?
1: No, it was pretty bad. Pretty bad for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, still, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, who's ever, who has ever really exited their middle school self, but I didn't Mm -hmm. make, I mean, I feel like the word make, Out Is that one word? (laughs) The compound word, make out, has come out so many times in this conversation already. But I didn't make out with anybody until, like, senior year of high school. It was a late bloom. Um, Yeah. So, uh, you know, I really hung on to my... uh lack of desirability for as long as I could and then, <laughs> <laughs> then how
0: tough of you how tough yeah you. you
1: know I gotta gotta hold on to your assets and then I just I don't know it 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 evolved into something just a little bit more medium I would say it was never a great <laughs> blossoming but it it took the edge off itself by the end of <laughs> high school I would say <laughs>
0: So this is so. What's the family? What's a family makeup? Is it both your parents and and Jonathan and you? That's right. Um, yeah, and the four and of us. and it was um like just where where in New York City or borough? Yeah.
1: Um. So Greenwich Village, uh, okay. sort of on the NYU campus. Even though um, my parents don't have anything to do with NYU, um, my dad's family has lived in that area for a very long time really since that'll do it yeah so
0: well and 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 of course that you know for for someone like me and and maybe for many people listening um that area immediately connotes like desirability and you know kind of like being polished and posh, and you know, you sort of imagine people who live there. Yes, being like a professor or being a movie star, or a model, like having getting the perfect cup of espresso and stuff like right. that. Um, uh, did that? Did that make it worse for you? Y- uh, yeah, you
1: must, it's it's funny because I went to grad school at NYU for writing and. Uh, I literally the grad the grad program I was in the writing program is one block from my parents apartment Mm -hmm. and now I mean I was there from 2011 to 2013 and now the West Village is as you describe it it's gorgeous and fancy and full of fancy coffee and um, if my classmates found out that I had grown up around the corner it immediately suggested glamour that had nothing to do with the childhood experience that my brother and i i mean my brother and i grew up in a one bedroom apartment that all four of us shared my parents Mm -hmm. were in the living room my brother and i were in the bedroom it was um about as far from a glamorous west village apartment as you can imagine it it was certainly wonderful to be in that neighborhood and i my parents didn't want to be anywhere else and i wouldn't have had it any other way but well Maybe some of our brothers. <laughs> um, uh, you just one more room. You just one more room. I can see my brother's reaction to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, it was an extraordinary neighborhood. And that was really the value. And I think that made a lot of sense. But the the contemporary image of, what, of Greenwich Village um, really didn't make its way into our apartment. Um, right. And so that... That discrepancy has always been hard to explain, um, and did sort of give you the additional disadvantage of people assuming that you don't even have any excuse for being a dweeb because you live in a fancy place. <laughs> sure, sure. Right.
0: Well, not to just beat this into the ground and and expand it out more, but to do exactly that. Uh-huh. Um, oh I'm also curious you know every time and and it's rare as you as you probably know it's rare that I speak to somebody who's from New York City proper um Hmm. you know so many folks from New Jersey and and a little bit the boroughs but even that is such a rarity um and and I feel like I could count on one hand maybe the number of people that I've that I've had on the podcast who grew up in New York City proper right now I can think of two and only two but I'm sure there are a handful more um including you but uh but the, the accessibility of, you know, just to put it into context, my context, you know, I'm from Tucson, Arizona. You're not up close and personal to a ton of huge successes in any kind of like big times, big city sort of way. It's a very gentle city to grow up in in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and And for me, I think you know i i think i i was sort of less ambitious uh because of it but also um because because but also less intimidated right as it, just mm-hmm. as a young person in terms of like what my goals were um and maybe that's good and maybe that's bad it is what it is but being confronted with such a loud voice of Broadway and this and that and, like, the ad agencies and, like, I mean, <laughs> I know I'm, I'm suddenly going back to, like, the 1950s. But uh, but do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like you're confronted with, like, just the bigness of what you can do and how and how far you might fall and all of that just seems so at your doorstep in New York City in a way that
1: it's not for many of us. Does that... Can you relate to that? Yeah, big time. Big time. Especially because I grew up doing dance and theater and the The ceiling there in the city was ridiculous, completely ridiculous. Um, I was a totally middling ballet student who really loved ballet, and then at a certain point was fed into the audition pool for the School of American Ballet, which is the theater to New York City Ballet, which uh, no normal child should come anywhere near, really. Like, <laughs> um, on the one hand, it's an utter privilege to even be able to walk into the building. The New York City Ballet is my sort of oasis. It's, I, it, it's the ultimate of artistic sort of um, perfection in my mind. And so obviously like in, in many ways it's wonderful that I even had the opportunity to audition for it. But on the other hand, I was so woefully unqualified um, mm. that uh, it one does have to confront at every age um, the discrepancy between one's own ability and the really extraordinary height of achievement that surrounds us in the city. Um, it's its inspiring and it's totally debilitating. And um, yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> I th- is there anything more, I mean,
0: again, I feel like this is very reductive, but as as a kid who did not grow up in any kind of a ballet culture at all, I mean, I did, you know, took modern dance through magnet schools at at like public, you know, public schools that had some, that offered up some art type stuff. And so any ballet I was doing was such a mishmash of, you know, modern dance and it was just part of, you know, one of the six periods you had in the day. So it just, it was, it was, you know it just didn't. there was nothing like what um what you can experience if you are really you know uh if you if you truly love ballet as a yeah. young girl but is there i mean <laughs> how many things most perfectly encapsulate like this sort of i mean I, I hate to use the word cliche but this idea of the the this sort of beauty and grace and desirability of ballet and the level to which you can be humiliated and crushed Mm -hmm. and physically humiliated and crushed just by virtue of what happens to your body if you dance ballet it feels like such a an extreme representation it's like a it's like an avatar of being a young girl like that that seems like it's so pervasive like I'm trying to think if I've ever talked to any of my, you know, all of my friends who took ballet would say they were middling at best. So I don't know who these girls are who were the stars (laughs) of the classes, but I don't know them. You know what I mean? (laughs) They're probably too, too. too, they're either too, their bodies are too broken for them to leave the house or they are off being wild successes in like Russia or something. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it just, it's an art form that will accommodate infinite labor, infinite work. So, The the people who can really do it are the people who have devoted most minutes of their lives to it, and so they aren't hanging out um, most of the time. Although, I've recently met a couple of dancers with New York City Ballet who are like wicked chill and hang hmm. out plenty so i, I that oh, that myth cool. is probably something that we just tell ourselves to comfort ourselves like oh the the good ones don't get to have any fun they have plenty of fun the um, good ones I, are all
0: black swan it's as it, simple as right that.
1: exactly you're either evil yeah. or crazy if you're that good it's not true that's right. They're, um but uh no it really is i mean yeah, ballet will really drive you crazy with how perfect you can be and 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 how perfect you're you're not. Yeah, oh yeah, Uh
0: Was that something that
1: you? When did you stop doing that? When did you
0: kind of go? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna retire the toe shoes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I went to college to to do theater. I went I went into the theater program of my school and. Um, Right away, freshman year, I realized that I was good enough to be the lead in high school, and that was as good as i was i wasn't I was no longer good enough to compete with the big guns at the college level and it mm. wasn't even sad it was just obvious I mean you just yeah. reach a point where you've leveled out um and that felt you know i guess like a bummer, but it also there was something of a relief in not throwing yourself against the brick wall of this endlessly escalating set of expectations. Um, Mm -hmm. And then right around that time, um, that summer after freshman year, I took a poetry workshop just because I had this image of a small book of poems and I thought it would be very darling to write a small book. I don't know why. (laughs) Um, And so I went and took a class at like the New York Summer Writers' Um, and the poet Louise Glick came to give a reading um, that summer and I had just gone through a terrible breakup and she read a poem about uh, great love and I burst into tears and then at school the next year I saw that she was a teacher at the college Um, Hmm. so I got to take her class sophomore year and that was really the beginning of of why I'm a writer Um, she happened to like my poems and she said what are you doing? You should be writing poems. Um, quit your quit your pirouette and, and write some poems. So I I did that. Um, and that's really she was basically the single pivot of that change. Mm. Um, which is such a testament to what mentors can do and what God, encouragement okay. can do. Um, having one person at the right time who says, You're good at this, is very often the turning point for an entire life. Um and really Hex is basically about that as well, is about this botanist who's been who's become so addicted to the encouragement of her mentor that she kind of can't comprehend herself in the mentor's absence Mm -hmm. um and that's what sort of fuels her obsession and her work and everything she does once that once she's thrown out of her mentor's program Hmm.
0: what was uh did you go to to public school then in uh in high school like in the heart of New York? Or?
1: Yeah, I went to the same public high school that my brother went to, Stuyvesant, which is a big math and science school um, that happened to have some very lovely English and theater in it, but it's, it's, a, it's a math and science school way downtown, yeah.
0: Were you writing for yourself in the form of journal entries, or were you kind of dabbling in poetry before you took that course um, in, in college? Or was that really just like a non-existent presence for you?
1: No, um, the Stuyvesant English department is, is so wonderful. It's like this secret jewel. And I did get to take a short story class and a poetry class junior and senior year um, at Stuy that really started, it started the interest. Um, but at, in, in high school, I was really very, very focused on theater. Um, And it and it wasn't until college that the writing took the theater's place. And what what uh, leads did you get to play when you were in high
0: school when you were still a big fish?
1: What a fun question. Well, <laughs> I was Princess Winifred in Once Upon a Mattress. Um, mm-hmm. So I got to climb up and feel the pee and all of those fun things. Um, and I went, I did go to Stage Door Manor, that like super hardcore boot camp, summer boot camp for, for theater. Um, and I got to do some heavy duty tap dancing there. I think my favorite show that I was ever in was 42nd Street, which is just oh, like... Like That's so cool. Incoherent tap dancing for two hours. There's like no story. There's no plot. It's just like, get on A this big cord and, and tap dance. Dancing. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> um. That's wonderful. Ugh, my my envy is. Listen, my envy is really, it's 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 really kind of rearing up right now and showing itself because I I love tap dancing and I just really? never was any good at it and never tried hard enough to get good at it. But I just think it's so fun.
1: Oh well, um, there's a fun quarantine activity. Zoom yourself a little tap class. There's no reason yeah. not to. I mean, maybe this is it for me. This is the pivot. Oh my right? god, this is the pivot. This is the pivot. You're a good tap dancer, oh, I swear, Janet, You're good. Huge.
0: <laughs> um, and so, so when you are uh, still awkward, it, it, at least when it comes to, I mean, this is again, I just like couldn't be more into putting people into um, boxes right now. I guess, but <gasps> uh, but it, it there there one could be surprised, maybe mildly surprised, that the person who is the lead is Princess Winifred, um, in What's Upon a Mattress, uh, would not necessarily be the kid who, you know, doesn't really have, you know, relationships, isn't isn't fooling around or isn't hmm. the subject of, of people's crushes, at least, you know, in, in, in a way that gets kind of acted upon. Um, Did you have friends who were, like, what was your friend group like? Was it just a mishmash of different
1: kinds of people? Yeah, I mean, one of the coolest things about that high school, um, especially back then, is uh, it was largely kids of immigrants. It was a really diverse student body. It's become a little bit less diverse, and their entry test has become so well-known that it's now sort of – the product of extensive prep programs and Hmm. it's it's become a little bit gnarlier but when I was there and I especially when my brother was there um anybody anybody who could answer a certain set of math problems went and it was free and um it was in this it was in downtown Manhattan and pretty accessible to all the boroughs by subway. Um, and so you wound up with this really eclectic, really mixed student body. And I loved that.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and, it, and it was also an enormous high school. It was 10 stories high um, wow. with like, I don't know, 1,500 kids, I want to say. That might be totally wrong. But a very large student body it was almost the size of a college. So mm. one thing I loved about that is that you could be anonymous or you could make friends with any kind of person, and nobody was tracking it because nobody could see the whole picture. It was too big for anybody yeah. to sort of. Um, I don't. It, my middle school was so small; you knew exactly who was who and what was what, and what the clicks were. Style yeah. was so rambly and enormous that nobody was keeping track of you or your friends. You just kind of did what you were going to do. Um, and i really loved that that was really liberating yeah that's amazing i mean i don't know that i've ever heard uh anybody describe
0: their experience in high school that way and and, and i absolutely understand and can imagine how that would that, that that would be so liberating um that's like yeah it's it's i think that's super uncommon um yeah. not to say that every other place is you know <laughs> the stoners and the right, you right, know right. jocks well, and the preps you know,
1: there, there was that too but there were so many of each there were so many different kinds of groups and there were so many people in each group that it was just a little bit less visible yeah yeah
0: and did you and did you have uh sort of crushes from afar like uh, it's, oh, sure. i I like to stare longingly at this person
1: oh sure who didn't come on <laughs> um i of course i did but i didn't have any expectations um and the idea that a relationship would form a part of my life didn't occur to me. Like it was so distant, it wasn't even, mm. and it wasn't even a possibility. Um, so I mostly did my homework. I really did a lot of homework in high school. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you didn't go through a rebellious high school phase where you also were like taking a drink from time well, to time, or smoking you know, some pot or whatever.
1: It was right when it was right at the end of high school when I first began to even approach kissing anybody that the rebellion sparked up and I thought, oh, it's you can do something else. You can do a nice fun thing. And I started going out to Park Slope and and drinking an occasional beer in the dugouts in Prospect Park. Mm. um with a group of kids who went to LaGuardia the the theater high school I don't even know how I met them but they were they were way hipper um they all lived in Brooklyn and um we would hang out in the park and that was about as rebellious as I'd ever been in my life and even then it was very mild (laughs) Um <laughs> but yeah, Again in there. a
0: place where you can really turn up to twenty, you know, right in uh, a one exactly. out of ten in terms of like how much trouble you could get yourself into. Uh that sounds still yeah Yeah, my brother
1: were like miserably well behaved kids. Just like so responsible. And I gotta so tell you, it does not abiding. surprise me at all to
0: hear that your brother was very well behaved. Well he's, he's the a good best of
1: the best, yes.
0: He's a very, very, very good citizen. Um, that's uh, <laughs> that's. I do. I mean, I yeah. It's interesting again to have like to have the examples all around you of um, the vast po- number of possibilities of like even just what kind of kid you can be and 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 having those 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 people to compare yourself to. Um, to know like well i, I am 100 percent sure i'm not going out to like bars with a fake id and just getting shit-faced or shooting up or whatever like right that's it's out there it's right near me if i wanted i could do that but that's not who i am exactly
1: there, yeah. you can't even pretend to be cooler than you are i mean of course you can but really <laughs> it's not gonna get you very far oh oh it's time for a quick break i will be back
0: after a word from our friends of maximum fun Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Find out the answers to these important questions and many more on Still Buffering, A Sister's Guide to Teens Through the Ages. I am a teenager. And, and I, I was two. two. Butts, 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 butts. No. you change your mind. Becky, I want to get into this MASH game with you. Uh, I did not prepare you for it, so no. if you have not listened to the podcast, it's possible you may not know what I'm talking about. I'm um, so excited. Okay, uh, mansion, apartment, shack, and house, did you ever play this like little game of no. writing up? Okay. Um, boy, oh boy, how deeply into it do I want to get? Maybe not so deeply into it. Um, otherwise, Julian will have to edit out the whole <laughs> long explication. Suffice it to no, say, this is anyway, a game that... Yeah, yeah we would play we would play it as young people. And this is going to be a, a situation in which I ask you to give me answers uh, in different categories. And then uh, I will have a way in which I... Uh, I learn and and relate to you what your fictitious future is going to include with all of these like fantasies that we're going to create together here. So you need, the only thing you need to be able to do is answer sort of off the cuff, knowing that these are your answers for this moment in time. And that if you try to make an answer that you think will hold for the rest of your life, uh, you will be paralyzed into silence. So... Uh, So if the first category that I want to do for our fictitious uh, MASH future or alternate universe Becky is um, please give me three three Broadway shows that you get a chance to participate in in some way, when really it's like only the fun stuff about it is what you're gonna experience. None of the slog of having to actually do the work.
1: (laughs) Wow, cool. So three Robert roles, shows.
0: three shows uh, mm-hmm. that it would be fun um, with no rules applied. You know, Gender, not an issue. Age, not an issue. None of that. It's just whatever seems the most fun. Three roles. Wow.
1: Great. Um, okay. I'm going to go back to 42nd Street and keep that in there because I love the tap. I'm going to go from there to a very unlikely second which is sunday in the park with george the sunday right? musical which is my favorite show and frankly i would be thrilled to be either george or dot um but i will go with dot because maybe in this fantasy i get to have bernadette peters's hair which is oh, like sure. a mega mane that i have a- always desired agreed agreed uh, and then number three i'll go with sally and you're a good man charlie brown Um, Which is a show I've always loved Wonderful Okay, great Uh, Next category,
0: let's do three authors Living or dead That you would like to spend a couple of days with Just talking, picking their brain Enjoying them as
1: a human being Mm. Haldor Loxness The Icelandic epic saga writer Uh, Virginia Woolf for her elegance and her imagination and kafka for his brain
0: wonderful okay uh getting into some more um maybe some less heady stuff uh three foods that in this reality you cannot eat in perpetuity um you know even though you might want to like you can't eat a bunch of steak because you feel it's bad for the environment or you can't have milk because you're lactose intolerant or you want to be able to eat five bags of Oreos, but at some point you're probably going to feel sick and they're not great for you anyway. We're going to strip all of that away. In this alternate reality, all food has the same, it's all equivalent um, and you, there's zero ramifications. So just three mm-hmm. of your favorite things. It could be a general category. It could be like a very specific, like that one casserole that your mom used to make mm. kind of thing.
1: Great. Um, here's another place where my brother and I feel the same way. And I feel the need to explain. My brother is Jonathan Dinerstein who plays the piano, uh, with the thrilling adventure hour and he's amazing. And that's why I keep talking about him. Um, also because I love him, but my brother and I both have an incredible, uh, love for macaroni and cheese. Um, so I would, I would go bottomless on mac and cheese. Um, I would go bottomless on pizza, which I really, um, have a very hard time not eating an entire pie. Yeah. every every pie it's a it's an act of unbelievable willpower and self-restraint <laughs> to stop where i, I stop. hear you i hear so you that's a major that's a major challenge the pizza challenge and then um my other really favorite food and this is sort of whatever but it's just the truth is is pesto basil pesto pasta mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i wish i could eat it all the time Yeah, I went through such a a pesto phase and then Mm. I think my I
0: started to get more sensitive to garlic and usually pesto has a fair amount in it. Um, And so now I feel I, I equate it with heartburn, but I I do love pesto like as you were just describing going through that phase. I missed it like I felt like oh no I need to I need to get back into some pesto so I'm gonna have to suss out some less garlicky pesto it's now on <laughs> it's the list out there. of things to it's do. available yeah Yeah. I'm gonna get into it uh, okay next category uh, this mash game uh, will always involve something romantic so all due respect to your wonderful husband uh, this is three alternate universe uh, crushes it could be oh, you yeah. know a, a, an actor from a different era it could be a character from a book it could be a cartoon uh, cool. it could be an astronaut doesn't matter uh, cool. three with whom you would like to have some uh, some alternate universe romps.
1: Cool. Um, Ewan McGregor, for whatever reason, has been my lifelong celebrity crush. hmm uh, mm-hmm, I approve. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm amazed that you approve because most people don't, but I really stand by it. It's been incredibly consistent since, uh, I don't know, since he was Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so Ewan... Um, uh, I had it. Um, let's see. I love the main character in the novel All the King's Men. I always found him really. Um, I always found his love very desirable. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with that. And uh, the third one would be, um, ooh, Lincoln, um, Abraham Lincoln
0: i like that because it sort of rhymes with Blanken. exactly <laughs> abraham Blanken. exactly <laughs> wonderful uh okay next category let's do three three places from uh, film or literature that you would like to have a vacation home from film or literature which doesn't mean like to say that you have to pick you know Like, specifically
1: Hogwarts or
0: something like that. It Mm -hmm. can also just be the Paris of blank or, you know.
1: Right. Um, The Italy of Call Me By Your Name. Great. Um, The Notting Hill of Notting Hill. Wonderful. (laughs) And the... the swedish islands of the bergman movies bergman wonderful wonderful okay
0: next category let's do three skills that you would love to wake up with tomorrow um and you just have the expertise no practice necessary
1: Mm, how nice um (laughs) skiing because my husband is like a professional level skier snowboarder and I don't know how and I really cramp his style. So Got I would it. like to be able to do that with him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see. Gardening, because we have a lot of land here and I, I don't know how to make the most of it. Um, mm. So if I could just wake up with a real green thumb, that'd be great. Wonderful. Um, and then um, probably... S- a, a kind of um, political service savviness that would allow me to feel less useless and solipsistic than I feel sometimes.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: amen, amen to that. Yeah. Uh,
0: okay, uh, let's see. I've got two more categories here for you. Um, I'm going to throw out there uh, three let's do three musicians or composers uh singer songwriters bands whatever you want three that um they're going to compose like a soundtrack that along which you live your life like you Mm -hmm. know you're just gonna have the the mood that they evoke and they're gonna be composing something that's just right
1: for you cool um laura marling number one love her so much um, Fiona Apple for a little uh, verve mm-hmm. um, and uh, my brother who composes ah. the most beautiful I music was hoping in you would all say that. the world yes. I was hoping you would say that I really br- baited you well you know I, I didn't even re- I didn't even hear the bait um, and my brother composed a piece for my wedding that was so utterly transcendent um, I just oh. can't believe it oh, I so love more of that, that
0: please Uh, Well, now I have to hear that song somehow. So I hope that can be facilitated. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. Uh, Okay, and then final category. Let us do... mm, It's time for me to put all the pressure on myself. Let's do three things that uh, you cannot do right now because we are sheltering in place um, that we are going to magically make it possible for you to do somehow within the confines of your home or property.
1: Um, see my friends, see my family, and go on book tour. Great. And book tour.
0: Okay, pick a number between one and seven. Five. Okay. I am going to quickly uh, use the number five to discern which of these things per category you are going to get. Um, if you could, in the meantime, uh, again, just kind of recap for people, uh, where to find your work, what that work is and, uh, how to stay connected to you in one way or another, that would be marvelous.
1: How nice. Um, thanks everybody for listening. My name is Rebecca Dinerstein Knight, Knight with a K. Um, and my new book is called Hex, H-E-X. Um, it's out everywhere books are sold. Um, Jenny Slate recorded the audiobook if you like to listen to audiobooks and she did a truly phenomenal job. Um, I super encourage you to place an order with Skylight Books in LA where we are going to have our event. Um, Local bookstores are really hurting right now as you know and Um, any order placed through any local store wherever you're listening does a huge amount for the store and for writers and for my publisher and everybody who's been working for years on this book Um, so i really hope you um if you want to check it out i hope you love it and i hope you tell me about it get in touch um i'm on instagram and twitter and facebook um rebecca dinerstein knight hex um thank you beautiful
0: Beautiful. I can't tell you how perfectly that timed out. I had not huh? a second that I had to wait for you, nor did I have to rush. That was absolutely Super. ideal. That must mean something. Um, so I want to congratulate you on many, many good things. Um, I want to congratulate you on... Oh, boy. Well, first of all, rest assured you have unlimited access to all your friends. We are magically making it possible for you to uh, spend time with them during this time in which you are uh, heretofore not spending time with them. Um, And so we have made that magically possible. Uh, Perhaps they will spend some time gardening with you because you are a phenomenal gardener. Mm. So I foresee you plucking vegetables for a beautiful garden salad uh, to serve your friends.
1: How nice. You can decide to
0: partake of that salad yourself or you can indulge in just nonstop mac and cheese. hmm non-stop mac and cheese it
1: will be the mac and cheese it will be
0: the mac and cheese sorry sorry delicious fresh garden vegetables Mm. enjoy and just indulge in that wonderful mac and cheese with zero ramifications uh i want to say you know listen obviously you have the place that you are now you also are the proud owner of and again, I did say mansion, apartment, shack, or house, those are the sort of things that you're going to get somewhat arbitrarily. You did end up with a shack, but it is on one of the Swedish islands of the Bergman films. And what are you going to do? Get some like tacky mansion? No, the, you gotta have a places? shack no. on the
1: Bergman island. You want to have a shack. You want the Swedish shack for sure.
0: Exactly, exactly. So I'm glad you see that in, in the in the way that one should. Um, I want to congratulate you for your wonderful run in uh, Sunday in the Park with George with your beautiful Bernadette Peters hair as Dot. How great. Um, I want to further congratulate you on your burgeoning friendship with One Virginia Wolf. (laughs) I'll take it and uh, and and all of this is happening with this sort of Laura Marling soundtrack that is just composed expressly for you and just perfectly mirrors whatever you're feeling at any given time you have this beautiful soundtrack to accompany you um, up to and including uh, your romantic relationship with your longtime crush mr. Ewan McGregor
1: goodness gracious <laughs> Do you
0: feel bloated with riches right now? I
1: really do.
0: I really do, <laughs> Janet. How did you do it? I just it's it's the magic of mash, my friend. The magic of mash. How supreme. Uh, uh, this has been such a pleasure and a joy. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Um, I am so excited to, uh, to check out this book. I'm probably going to listen to the audiobook version because um, I like to toddle around and do various uh, and sundry chores and hikes and yeah. things. So I can't wait to have Jenny Slate's uh, melodious voice in my ears saying your beautiful words.
1: It's a great choice. She did such a nice job. Um, Janet, thank you so much. You run such a beautiful show, and I'm so thankful to be on it. And um, uh, I hope you have a really comfortable and and fulfilling quarantine in your own way. Um, Thanks again to my brother, Jonathan Dinerstein, and thanks to all of you guys for listening. I, I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, I love that was a beautiful, that was such a, uh, that was a beautiful dismount is what I have to say. (laughs) Um, And I'll just tie it up by saying uh, for uh, those of you who plan to tune in again, I will talk to you next time on the podcast. Yay. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi.